know if y'all remember this, but when Blessed I was growing up, we would go spirit. roller skating. I remember Hot Wheels was For the skating. the kingdom of heaven. High school when I was in high school. Now it's some teaching center. It's no longer a skating rink, but, you know, they would say, okay, ladies only, and girls would skate, and guys only, and then they would go all skate, and everybody would rush out and skate together. This is an all skate command, okay? And yet, really, our hearts and our attitudes should be more like, a, I get to do this. I get to do this? Really? I get to do this? So I'm hoping that I will help you get that. If you're not feeling that right now, I hope that I will help you get there because it is a, I get to, but it is also a challenge. In fact, if it doesn't feel overwhelming, you might not be tuning into what was really being asked of. So today we're going to answer the question, because unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what the Great Commission is. We're going to answer the question, what is the Great Commission? But we're also going to talk about why it matters and what does this mean for me and you, us, the church. So I want to pray again. So let's pray together. Lord, as we uh, open your word, I pray that your word would ring out as a clarion call to each of us to trust you and follow you wherever you lead, knowing that that is a dangerous prayer because we might actually have to change some things in our lives. Some things may need to be small that need to change. Some things might be more dramatic. But regardless, Lord, you call us to a heart that is so open that you, we say, wherever you lead, I will go. Here I am, send me. And so like Isaiah, I pray that we would get to the place where we have seen God high and lifted up so clearly that it transforms us from the inside out and that we just cannot do anything except what you would have us do. I pray you'll get us there sooner or later in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we've, we've had a, a few more people in the room since five years ago, but about five, six years ago, some of you will remember a guy who was a part of our church, a young man named Kevin. He had a brother named Mike and a dad named Kevin, and I'm not going to throw the last name out because we're online, and who knows, right? But some of you remember Kevin, and, and Kevin uh, had a unique way of communicating with us, right? He was um, fun and quirky and all the good things that we love about Kevin. So Kevin works at, at Chick-fil-A here in town, and he saw me the other day. I know it's hard for, for you to believe that I was there. but um, And he came out of the kitchen. He was in the back, and he came out to speak to me. And he said, I got to tell you. I got to tell you about this guy. And he starts to tell me this story, and I'll give you the short version. Basically, somebody I think he's been interacting with online, but basically this is someone who called themselves a former Christian. Now, I don't know if they ever were, but that's not the point. The point is, Kevin was reaching out to this, this young guy and interacting with him about the gospel repeatedly over a long period of time. Well, the guy hadn't talked to him in a while, and then he reached back out, and he said, I just want you to know I've become a Christian. I'm following the Lord Jesus. And in, he said, and to Kevin, he said, and it's mostly because of you. And Kevin's eyes just started to water right there, and I'm standing there, and they're like, take out over here. People are making their order there. And he's like, and we're like face to face, and his eyes are watering, and he's like, and I just knew you would want to know. And then my eyes started to water. <laughs> That's what it's about. Whether they say yes or no to Jesus is irrelevant. 
Our job is to share it in the way that God has uniquely made us to share it, but to be faithful to do that. What a privilege. Jesus came and started, and he showed us how. And then he said, okay, your turn. And he left. Now, he didn't leave us, leave us. He left us to do it. He promised to be with us through all of it. He sent the Holy Spirit to stay in us so that we knew he was with us, but he left the job to us. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because we are Christ to those around us. And when I say Christ, I mean king in the sense that he is king. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title, anointed one, prophet, priest, and king, highest of all high. But he's also Jesus, and his name means the Lord is my salvation. And so that's who we represent when we speak on behalf of Jesus, when we speak as the church, individually or corporately. And Jesus is giving us a very clear definition of what that is, what that looks like, and why we're all called to it. Okay, so if if it freaks you out a little bit because it's like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this, it should. But it should put you on your knees in a place where I'm in humble dependence on you. I cannot do this apart from you. And God's going, okay, now we're making some progress. So with that, let's look at this passage. Now, let me catch you up on the context. So last week, we saw the resurrection. We, it was Easter all over again. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we celebrate and worship on Sunday and not on the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, because Jesus rose on, the sun, on Sunday. And so that's where it was. Jesus rose. The tomb was empty. Mary and the other Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, said, went and saw Jesus, saw the angel, and both of them said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, meet us in Galilee. Okay? And Jesus had already told the brothers, the 12 minus 1, to go and meet him in, in, in Galilee. But here we got it again. And so we're going to fast forward a few days. Now, we don't know how many days from that Sunday, but we know it's less than 40 because Jesus interacted with his followers for 40 days before he ascended to be the right hand of God. So is, but we also know it's about a 100-mile 100 mile walk for them to go from Jerusalem where they were at the resurrection to the, wherever that mountain was in Galilee, okay? So somewhere between a week and 40 days, they show up at this mountain all together. And that's where Matthew picks it up in verse 16 when he writes, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So we don't know what mountain, but they knew, and that's what matters, right? Verse 17, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this is, this is important. He said, you will see me. I imagine they had to be convinced enough that they were going to see him to go because you don't just walk 100 miles for nothing. Uh, and I imagine that if you looked at some of the parallel passages in, in some of the other Gospels, you, we would probably see that Jesus had appeared to them before their, their trek up to Galilee because we have some other encounters, and I, we don't know exactly when they happened, somewhere in that 40 days, but maybe one or more of those happened in that window of time that helped nudge even Thomas to make the trek up to uh, the mountain on Galilee. But regardless, they're there, and some of them respond, actually probably very much like Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and when they went and saw the tomb was empty. And then they saw Jesus, and the very first thing they did was they, they hit the ground, they each grabbed an ankle, and they worshiped. Because here they saw Jesus in a new body, 
resurrected body, and yet they knew he was more than just a man. They knew he was the Son of God, the Son of Man, God in the flesh. And so they worshiped him. Well, that's similar to what's happening here. But this, this phrase, but some doubted, makes us uncomfortable. And so I think we need to touch on this and make sure that we realize what's happening here. And we don't know exactly, right? Because words can mean more than one thing. So you look at context and try to get a sense of that. And this is kind of where I've landed on this. And that is, um, we've kind of got a, a range of outcomes on doubt, right? One extreme is, I doubt that any of this is true. This is all hogwash. I doubt any of it's true. It's very skeptical would be one side. And I don't think that's what this is describing, though there could be some there. And the other extreme would be what maybe some of you and I have wrestled with as a believer in Christ is just sometimes, I, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I've had these moments in the past where I've just gone, is it, am I just crazy to believe this? Am, is this really true? You know, and, and having those moments where you just ask the question out loud even by yourself and, and, and then you work through it. And, and I've, I've always worked through it and come out on the good side. I promise I'm not a skeptic as I stand here, not at all. But I, I'm okay with the occasional doubt because what it does is it makes you think not only what do you believe, but why do you believe it? And, and, and as we live more and more in life, we have more context. And it's like, does this really fit reality? Because you need to be thinking about this. You don't just go in blind faith. God doesn't call us to a blind faith. He calls us to a reasonable faith. But it still is faith by definition. So I think theirs was a, a bit of that uh, hesitancy, kind of like, because, and that's in the word, by the way, that, that hesitancy, a doubt. Kind of like if, if I had... Um, Let's just say I had a son that was in the military, and he was out, and he was missing in action, and they thought died. And so we wait like a year, and he, no one ever finds a body, and so we just, we just we need closure, and so we have a funeral and a memorial service and all that, and, and we move on, and then he shows up. So you're going to be, that's just going to mess with you, and you're going to be shocked, and you're going to be excited, and you're going to be like, is that really him? It just, you know, there's just going to be moments where you go, you know, is this too good to be true? Does, is that really him? Does that look like exactly, you know, and there might have been some of that with Jesus. Because we don't know exactly how the resurrected body compares to his actual body other than this one has, has scars, but it does not look abused anymore because it's the resurrected body. So there's some of that there too. And, and I think that's okay. All right, so then, then it continues. Verse 18, and we get into the actual verses that are called the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission shows up at least explicitly five times in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with it, which should tell us something all by itself. It's important to them in the writing of the Gospels, but also Jesus ends with it. He ends his life with these final words, if you will, to his disciples, the ones he's turning it all over to. So last words matter, right? I mean, just imagine yourself in the hospital. You know you're at the end, your family's around you, and you've got just enough energy to say a couple more things. What are you going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say if I ever am in that situation, but I know it's going to matter. It's going to be what's most important to me. That's what's going to come out, I think. Because all of a sudden, life is in sharp focus, and what really matters becomes clear. Or at least clearer. And Jesus is making it very clear. Here's what matters. 
If you don't get anything else, the old joke, you got one job, right? This is the job. The Great Commission. So what is it? Well, here we go. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus starts with those words. Why does he start with those words? Because authority is the basis of the command. You see, you and I have to get to the place where we not only believe that Jesus has the authority to make the command, but we have to decide whether or not we're going to obey it, whether or not it's for us. We have that decision to make, and it's a daily decision. It's not a once and done. I mean, in a sense, it can be a once and done. Sign the check, leave it blank, and hand it to the Lord. That's fine. That's great. But for me, it's a recurring, I need to come back, and I need to... Because I, my tendency, I don't know about you, my tendency is I want control and I want to do my thing. And I like being large and in charge. I love that. I'm okay with that. And, and God's like, yeah, but you're not really good at it. <laughs> and everybody said amen, right? So, I mean, and that's kind of true for all of us. We all have that temptation to say, it's my life. Is it? If you, if, if you're in the river, and you're, you're in the river, and you're heading towards the waterfall, and there's no surviving the waterfall, and you know it, and you're just barely able to breathe, and you can't swim, and it's just like, I'm, I'm toast, I'm done, and someone rescues you from that. Isn't there a sense in which you go, I owe you my life. You saved my life. You risked your life to save my life. Well, Jesus did more than that. He didn't just risk his life. He gave his life. And in God's eyes, it's the only life that could take my place because it's the only life without sin. He lived the life I couldn't live to give me the life I didn't deserve to get. And now my job is to live the life he gave me for him because of him. Okay? So, um, this, and then this, so this authority gives us really the foundation on why he can ask it. But he's not just all-powerful, Right? Jesus is not just, I mean, you know, you could, he's not a, a tyrant. Jesus is good. God is good. God is good. All the time. God is good. That's right. The Bible says he's omnibenevolent. It describes him as omnibenevolent, meaning all good, meaning perfectly good, perfect in, perfectly good in motives as well as in actions. Okay? And you may say, well, I'm looking at the news and things don't look so good. Okay? That's right. That's not God's doing, okay? That's because of sin, and we started that avalanche, by the way, okay? Now, God works through those things to bring about good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God can leverage anything for good to accomplish his purposes, and that doesn't mean that everything he calls us to is pleasant and easy, because it's not, but it's all good. The testimony of those who just went to Uganda. It wasn't an easy trip, (laughs) but it was a good trip because God worked through the difficulties that were a part of that trip, okay? And that's true every day in all of our lives to the extent that we lean into that and embrace that. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, just to be clear, in heaven and on earth, okay? That's everything God created, Everywhere, God, Jesus has authority over all. That's why we say he's the Mac Daddy of all priests, the Mac Daddy of all prophets, and he's the Mac Daddy of all kings. He is 
the ultimate authority. Where'd he get it? He got it from his daddy. God the Father gives God the Son this authority to do this, and then the Bible says that when Jesus gets his kingdom set up and everything's good and evil is toast and, and we have the new heaven and the new earth, he hands the kingdom back to his dad. Because that's his job, that's his role in the Godhead. God is good. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay? And so Jesus says that about himself. Remember, our series is called All for a Reason. Because Matthew is making this case all the way through the Bible, this is true. Jesus has all authority so that all nations, that's all people and all ethnicities, Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. And all three of these are in the Great Commission. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that truth, go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all or everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you until the end of the age. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, that's not in there. Sorry. Um, but you get the idea, right? So, so we start with authority, all authority, and it ends with a promise. What's the promise? And surely I will be with you until the end of the age. Okay? That's where we get our courage, that we're not alone in this. Okay? So we have all authority. We have all presence. And so that's to remind, we, don't, we, don't, we have everything we need to do the job. What's the job? What's the Great Commission? Verse 19. The heart of the Great Commission is this. Therefore, in light of these two things, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Okay? That's the shorthand. Okay? Now, let's, let's, let's look at this for a second. All right, so English teachers, forgive me for butchering the English language in grammatical terms. Because even the commentators I'm reading, and I've read several, they don't even all agree exactly on how to say this, but they do agree on what it means. So let me just get cut to the chase, right? Whether there's four verbs or one verb and three participles or gerunds or all this other stuff, I don't remember that, what it means. This is what it means. The very heart of the message of the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's what's driving the rest of the verse, make disciples. So let's unpack that for a second. So to make a disciple means that at some point they're not a disciple. So you want somebody to move from not a disciple to a disciple. The Bible uses the words enemy of God and children of God, family of God, people of God, etc. Okay? The identities we have in Christ are all on this side. We were enemies of God, and at some point we surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we say, I'm, I'm, I'm following you now. That means he's Lord, and I'm going to act like it. I'm not just going to say it. Okay? Many who said, Lord, Lord, do not inherit the kingdom of God because they're just saying it. They're not living. It's not, it's not happening here actively. Okay? So, and what's a disciple? A disciple is like an apprentice. Okay? Some of you are in jobs where you have formal apprentices. You're the, the guy who drives the lathe, and you have 25 years' experience driving the lathe, and you have somebody that you're going to teach how to use the lathe, and they will officially apprentice under you, and at some point they'll get credentialed at a level that allows them to then apprentice someone else. Okay, That's what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who comes alongside and says, well, let's walk together, and I will show you the ways, the words, and works of Jesus. And I will help you understand them, and I will help you practice them. 
Okay? That's why I don't like the translation in ESV, observe all these things. Because observe sounds just like the Western Christianity I love and know, that we just observe all these laws and commands and word of God, but we don't really do them. We just observe, oh, yeah, those are really good commands. Amen, preacher, you preach it. Don't expect me to do it, you know, but I'm, you know, I like NIV, obey. Uh, another translation says uh, practice. I like that too. Another one says follow. I like that too. Just observe. I'm not really crazy about that one, okay? But don't throw your ESV away, okay? Keep it. It's good, good translation, okay? All right, so um, a disciple is an apprentice. The, the actual definition is learner, someone who's learning alongside to not just know but do, okay? So make disciple. That's the heart of it. But really, really, really tightly lashed to that is the word go, this is why a lot of times you'll hear preachers say, yes, the thrust of this command is go. And I say, no, not quite. But it's really, really tight to make disciples. And so what is it saying? It's, I, think, I think two things. One is, as you go through life, where you live, work, learn, and play, you're to be thinking, praying, actively engaging the, the Great Commission as you engage those who are around you. Okay? Whether you're on your way to school, whether you're taking kids to soccer, whether you're on your way to work, whether you're hanging out at home with your kids, with strangers, at the gas pump, in the grocery store, it does not matter. This is what we're called to. And this, to me, is a real helpful filter to try to figure out if somebody really knows the Lord. I know a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, or even real Christians that don't know the Great Commission. They just don't understand it. They've never heard anybody teach on it, and so they don't really do it. That's one category. But there's folks who know this command and don't practice it. At best, that's a hard heart towards the things of God, because this is what makes God, this is what God, this is his passion. I mean, why else would he put his son on the cross? For us to ignore the Great Commission is to mock Jesus's crucifixion. And I just think we, we let ourselves off the hook way too easy on this. And it should sober us. So, um, so go as you go about your day. But that doesn't mean, it doesn't also mean go with intention to a specific place that God calls you. Okay? And if you don't know where that is, it's right where you live. It's your neighborhood. It's your place of employment. It's where you spend your time when you're not at home or at work. Okay? Those, those are your circles of influence. Those are your people of, in, that are in your orbit. Those are the people that you have responsibility to make sure they hear the gospel, that they have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel because of you. Because of you. Okay? Sometimes he calls us to go somewhere else for a while. Okay? Some, we, for 10 years in a row, we sent teams to Curacao for a little longer than a week. And we went down there and we poured into children, hundreds and hundreds of children. We poured in the gospel by serving the team that was leading the charge. We, just, we were just kind of behind the scenes helping them uh, do what they needed to do to share the gospel. Okay, So for a season, we would, we would spend 10, 10 days and thousands of dollars to go down there and share the gospel with them. And I know the pushback. I've heard it many, many times. Well, we've got plenty of need right here. I understand that. But I'm okay if you spend 50 weeks here and two weeks somewhere else. I'm okay with that. 
by the way. And I think God probably wants more than two weeks, but he's happy with, let's just get two weeks. And that can be in Kansas, and that could be in Kathmandu. It, it doesn't really matter. It, it matters, but it, it, the point is going is part of being on the go and, and having this great commission. It's not something that we just, I, because there's value in going that I don't have time to go into other than to say this. It changes your whole outlook on life because the rest of the world, almost most of the world does not live like we do. They do not have access to what we have access to. They do not have the affluence that we have. Um, most of you, anybody in here with a job is in the upper 1% of wage earners in the world. 1%, not 5%, 1%. If you make more than 30 grand, if you make above the poverty level, you're in the upper 1% of wage earners in the world. Okay? We have high schoolers making upper 5% wage earner in the, in the world. Okay? Percentage basis. We just don't have a clue how, how different the world lives. A third of the planet lives in like $2 a day. Okay? And a third of the planet is all that claims to know Christ. And that's assuming there are no false converts in, no, in that whole 3 billion, 2, 2 billion people. There's two-thirds of the planet that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and a sixth or fifth of those are not even around a church, or they don't even have the Bible in their own language. They don't have TV programs. With the, they don't have access to the Internet. They don't have, uh, unless trans world radio is around, they don't have any radio broadcasts. But they, don't, they don't know the name Jesus. They've never heard it. So when we start to think, you know, there's no reason to go, there's plenty of reasons to go. And I won't spend the next 45 minutes telling you just that because we're going to move on to, because this is bigger than that. This is bigger than anything in your life. I don't care what you have going on in your life. There's nothing bigger than fulfilling the Great Commission. It's so important that Jesus said, when somebody in all the nations know, I'm coming back. Jesus, I'm coming back. You just need to finish your one job. That someone in all each nation, there would be somebody who knows and loves me and follows me. Maybe you're not in a hurry to go. I don't know. So then he ends with this. Well, I don't want to. I'm not there. I'm not ready to end yet. I'm just getting started. No, I'm just kidding. Now I'm baptizing them. Okay. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why is baptism important? Baptism is your public profession of faith. That's when you stand or sit. or That's when you, before the world, you say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, and I am going to trust and follow him the rest of my life. Okay? That's what baptism means. And it is a picture of the gospel and what happened to you as you accept the gospel. And that is, we have, uh, the word means to immerse. That's why we immerse. So you have a pool of water, and you have someone sitting there, and you lower them down into the water as if this was a watery grave, symbolic, all right, metaphor. Water, lower them down, buried together with Christ, and then we say raised to walk a new life with him. A new life meaning a new person, a new creature in Christ. God has transformed this person from a slave to sin to free from sin, Okay? Adrian Rogers says it this way. We have been saved when we were justified. We are being saved as we're being sanctified, and we will be saved when we're glorified. Salvation, have you been saved or are you going to be saved? Yes. 
at least in Christ, I'm going to be saved when I go home. I'll be, the salvation process will be done. I'm being saved because I'm becoming more and more like Jesus in practice, but in position. I was justified when I trusted Jesus, and I am saved in his eyes, as good as saved, because even though the process isn't done, he keeps me and holds me, and that's why I feel secure in that salvation, because if it's genuine, it isn't going anywhere, okay? And I owe him my life. He saved me from sin and death, shame and guilt, hell itself. So why in the world wouldn't I live for somebody like that? Why in the world wouldn't I live for my creator, if nothing else? But here's a creator who, though I thumbed my nose, and I could say it in a lot worse way, I rebelled against and traitor human race I am, I sinned against my creator God, who is holy, holy, holy. And he's like, I love you, but that's not okay. You come to me, but come on my terms. Because why? All authority. So that all nations, all peoples, from all ethnicities, from all over the world, might pledge all allegiance to him. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I don't pledge allegiance to anything else above the Lamb. I pledge allegiance to the American flag. I'm fine with that to a point. But it is not even close to the Lamb of God. Okay? And I love this country. But this country is temporary. This life is temporary. This just in, 80 years is not much time in eternity. It's a drop in the ocean of timelessness. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To make it very clear, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three apparently are very important. Matthew goes to the trouble to show us the Trinity. It's pretty rare in the Bible that you even see it. He makes it very clear, this is a, all, God is all skating, and we need to be in all skate mode as well. And then he says this, and this, is, this goes over so many heads, because by the time you're at this part in the verse, you're like, okay, I'm done with this verse. All right, it's, it's like teaching them, and we just don't hear the rest. Teaching them, wah, 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 right, Charlie Brown? Uh, and, and it's like, well, no, 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 that part is really important. Teaching them to do what? Teaching, who are we teaching? We're teaching those who are wanting to be or, or willing to follow Jesus to do what? To obey everything all Jesus has commanded. That's the words of Jesus. That's this book. Okay? And you say, well, Darren, you spend an awful lot of time in that back third. You don't spend a lot of time in that front third. That's because Jesus has got a lot to say in that last third. Jesus and his apostles. And so I love the first thir two thirds, but you know what? I'm going to major on what, what I see here in the most explicit terms. The most recent scriptures out of all the ancient scriptures we have are the New Testament. They're more clear for simple-minded people like me to understand. I can read and go, oh, okay, I can see that. I don't have to know a whole bunch of, right, even though the stories in the Old Testament are great and they give us the foundation, they give us the basics of our, our belief system. But at the end of the day, it's all pointing to Jesus, so when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus is around, and he, he, I'm going to major on that, okay? Not, it's just, that's just what I'm, that's just, and may, I mean, I may not even be right. All of it's God's word. All of it's authoritative. All of it's from God, okay? So just to be clear, I'm not putting Jesus' words ahead of Paul, okay? Because God inspired it all, so it's all good. But when I'm not sure what else to do, I'm going to the words of Jesus and the example of Jesus. The words, ways, and works of Jesus are going to be primary in my life, and I'm going to use that as the primary filter to assess how am I doing? Am I actually obeying the teachings of Jesus? Because that's what he calls me to do, 
and it's what he calls me to lead others to do. Okay? And then he reminds us, you're going to be tempted to bail on this. You're going to be tempted to get busy. I hope you're busy doing this because you're going to be tempted to do anything but. But I'm going to be with you so that when you finally get it in your head, this is what's important, this is what really matters, you'll do it. First uh, semester of seminary, this would have been in early 95. I'm sitting in uh, my missions class. Uh, three years of seminary and you get one missions class. doesn't really communicate to me that this is a priority, but nevertheless, I was in my one missions class and there was this little poster, this bulletin. You know, ever seen this where you have a giant bulletin board and there's just like one thing on the bulletin board and it's small and it's just kind of sitting there? And the, but the professor was consistent with that poster and it's about the only thing I remember in that class. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So the question, right, what is the main thing? And I would say that the Bible points to these verses, the Great Commission. And what happens when we get off the rails is when we forget the main thing and we get away from it. Okay. Now, there's a lot of ways to do it, but it, it all includes the gospel. The gospel is not just for eternal life. It's for every area of life. It's for addiction. It's for relational reconciliation issues. It's for how I deal with a, a boss. It's how I deal with my kids. It's how I deal with my spouse. The gospel touches every area of life. There's not an area of life that, it, that matters that it doesn't touch. Because gospel means good news. Well, if you're dealing with God in life and you're like, I don't feel like this is good news in this area of my life, then I would say, then get with the program because you're the problem. You're not believing God is really who he said he was. I know that doesn't feel good, but I'm the same way. When I get off and I'm seeing things wrong, it's because I'm not believing what's good about God and what he's done and what he's given me and what he's made available to me through Jesus. I'm looking at it upside down. I'm looking at it through the way the rest of the world looks at it. But when I'm on track, it's good news. It's good news. So we're going to end today a little different. I'm going to ask you to do something, and obviously you don't have to do it because I don't have all authority, and everybody said amen to that too, right? Jesus has all authority, and he's not telling you to do this, but I'm asking you if you would do this to humor me. I'm going to ask you, I'll tell you what it is, and you can decide what you're going to do about it, okay? And this is to you online too. Um, I'm going to ask you to give me some feedback. I need to know where you stand. So I'm going to ask you to give me an A, B, C, D, or E. All right, you pick one, and I'm going to tell you what each letter represents in just a second. You're not grading me in my preaching. I don't want to hear those grades, okay? All right, so uh, I, want your, I, I would like your name and your, either your phone or your email, however you want me to communicate with you, because I'm going to follow up with everybody except the A's, okay? Here's what they mean, okay? A is for someone who has already, is already believing and following Jesus, Okay, not perfectly, you haven't got your act all together, but you're committed to Christ, surrendering and learning how to live that out. That's the way you walked in, and that's the way you're going to walk out. You're already following Christ by grace through faith, okay? That's the A. If that's you, write your name, write the letter, in big, you know, big letter. Use a welcome card, use a scrap of paper, use an index card, write it on the inside flap of your Bible and tear that off. Whatever you want to do, just do and then drop it in an offering box when you get a chance or hand it to, to me, or you can text me. Okay. Um, B, 
today, for the first time, I'm believing that Jesus is the, is the way, the truth, and the life. Today, for the first time, okay, I'm believing. And it's not because I convinced you. I hope it's not because I talked you into anything. It's because God has convicted you, and you are convicted that this is the way of, I should be living my life. And I want to go on record today with Darren that I'm believing. Okay? That's B. C, I'm considering believing. I'm not there yet, but I'm considering it. D is I am, I don't want, I don't want to believe right now. And I'm just being honest with you, and I would appreciate that too. That's good feedback. I appreciate knowing where you are. I don't want to believe right now. Okay? Door may still be open, but don't. And then E. E is I'm exploring full-time ministry or missions. And, and when I say, I don't even want to say full-time, because we're all supposed to be full-time, right? What I'm talking about is I'm, I'm feeling called to more than what most people are going to feel called to, okay? And I'm exploring that option, okay? Now, I'm going to respond to each one of these personally, except for the A's, all right? And if you want me to and you put A, then just write in there, I'll, I still want you to reach out. And that's fine. I'll do that. Text me, all right? You can put it in the chat, put it in the chat there, and we've got someone watching that who will get that to me. Text me. Um, if you have that number, email us at info at gracetoday.net, info at gracetoday.net, and then we'll get that, and that's another way to get it to me. Hand it to card to me, put it in the offering bins, okay? That would really help me know where we are, some of us are, okay? It might spark some really good conversations, which is all I'm really looking for is conversations, okay? I really appreciate those of you who have really, from beginning to end, you've been here through all this book of Matthew. Matthew... Is, is just writing what the Lord put on his heart to write, okay? And we have a firm conviction here that the Word of God is just that. It's authoritative in our lives, okay? And therefore, we, we, we order our lives after what Jesus and all those that God has put in our path to follow, all right? We're, none of us are going to get it done perfectly. We all need God's grace to do this. That's why we should never be looking down on anybody because we know what we're really like and we know what we really think even as we struggle to believe, okay? All of that's fair game. But which way are you going? What direction are you heading? Are you heading towards Christ or are you heading away from Christ? Because that's one of the questions I might ask you. No matter what letter you pick, my question is which way are you heading? Because it's not about the destination. It's about where, what direction are you heading towards Christ or away from Christ? Narrow way or broad road that leads to destruction. And this is just your way of helping me understand. If you've never trusted Christ, you can do that today. And it's not a magical prayer. It's the faith. But it's saying, Lord, I want to believe. And I need you to help me in my unbelief. Trust you and follow you. And you just tell him that. You don't need a priest because Jesus is your high priest. He's got that covered. But you need to communicate that to him. You can do it now. You can do it during a song. You can come talk to me in the corner over here in a minute. And I promise I won't leave you in the corner. You know, but you know what I'm saying? It's not 
It's not some hocus-pocus. It's just being real with God who already knows what you're thinking and feeling and knows where you are. Last thing. As you ask, if you were tracking and you're like, uh, great commission, yeah, I, I need to be all in on that. How do I start? Let me give you a really simple way to start. Not easy, but simple. Okay? As you go about your day, wherever you are, openly ask God to show you who he wants you to go up to and just say, I'm praying for people today. How can I pray for you today? That's it. How can I pray for you today? Okay? It could be the waiter at your table. It could be somebody that you work next cube over. But I am praying for people this week. I just feel like I should be doing that. How can I pray for you today? And then pray with them. I know, I know. I just lost you, right? Pray with them. I don't know how to pray. Okay, okay. Say, I'm going to pray for you this week. You don't have to. But my point is, reach out. Be willing to be vulnerable. Humble yourself and say, I'm going to serve this person by asking them a question. And I guarantee you next week, there will be people that come up to me and go, i got to tell you what happened when I asked this question. Because there will be some amazing stories because of your faithfulness in believing that God is at work all around us if we would just step out in faith believing. Let's pray. Lord, as we... As we wrestle with the, what you've put in front of us, it's not about understanding so much as it is believing that this is what we actually should be doing. Believing that not only do you have all authority to tell us to do this, but you have all the motivation to help us succeed. And that you've promised to be with us throughout all of it. Lord, this means we've got to really look at our priorities. It means we have to be willing to cut some things out. Not just because we're busy, but because our focus is so off of you. And we need you to realign our focus. We need to cut out the things that are distracting us, Lord. And we need your help in, dis in not just discerning what to cut out, but having the courage to do that, the discipline. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us. Lord, for those who say, I want to believe today, I want to trust and follow the Lord Jesus. I want to, I, I want to do that, Lord, and I want to follow in baptism. God, I pray that you would give folks that are there the courage to, to own that, to step out and be willing to say, this is where I'm going and this is what I need to do, and I want to do this and I need some help. Lord, I pray you'll help that happen. Lord, there may be people in the room who have been believers for a long time. I was a believer for 10 years before I got baptized. Lord, the Bible doesn't understand a believer who doesn't get baptized. It doesn't even equate in your scriptures. Lord, give them the conviction that if they truly believe that they would follow in baptism and then live it. Lord, we all have our issues. We all are struggling. We all need more faith. We would all say we we feel totally inadequate for this task. Thank you, Lord, that that is true and that that's okay. And I pray that you would help us step out in faith and do it. And we ask it in Christ's name.